0: In order to have a real sense of satisfaction in life and to have a collective sense of identity and true community and relationship, uh, you don't need Twitter. You need a common purpose.
1: Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister.
0: And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse.
1: Nathan, my old professor, Holly Ordway, wrote a book a number of years ago called Apologetics and the Christian Imagination. I do recommend that book, by the way. She has a throwaway comment in there that I think is quite helpful. She says, when we're talking to people outside the church, generally, their thoughts on Christianity are that it's either stupid, boring, or irrelevant. might sound harsh. Stupid,
0: boring, or irrelevant. Okay. I'm tracking. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I think part of that irrelevant piece, and I so the boring and irrelevant, I think, are the most damning, and I'll explain why. Some listening might, you know, this is obviously a show about thinking. We prize the life of the mind. So some of our listeners may think, whoa, 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 no, stupid's pretty bad. I don't think so. If you think <laughs> Christianity is stupid or you're, or you're very angry about it, you're passionately against stupid, let's take somebody like Professor Richard Dawkins. He comes up from time to time. You don't have to take Richard Dawkins. You could also take somebody like A.C. Grayling or the late Christopher Hitchens or Daniel Dennett. You know, go through all the four horsemen of atheism, Sam Harris. Let's throw him in there as well. I'm tempted to say that all these people I've just mentioned care more about Christianity than many Christians I know. They're so dun, passionately dun, dun. involved with the subject. Yeah, you know, and they care that there's serious investment, serious passion, even if it's antagonistic. That is preferable, I would suggest, to apathy or indifference. When somebody just thinks Christianity is irrelevant or that it's boring, it's really interesting to if you actually if you're familiar with the Bible to call Christianity boring boring. It's a statement that, it, that it can only be made if you're kind of blissfully ignorant of the specifics. Yeah, well, But there, that's that's a real challenge.
0: Is, is there a sense yeah. though that when you talk about you would rather have anger than apathy? Um, that's definitely true if you're ha- trying to have a conversation with somebody. But is it also the sense that there's a bit of a backhanded compliment towards something that makes people angry because you see it as enough of a threat that you feel like you need to deal with it? And so why did Dawkins, why does he pick out Christianity rather than Zoroastrianism um, to go after? Well, because he sees one as a much bigger cultural weight and influence, and therefore he sees the, the value and, and in his mind, the the danger of it. So yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a, a compliment on the robust engagement of an idea. Oh, yeah. oh, thank you. I'm honored that you're taking the time to think this is a serious thing. So anyway, that's a, a check in the column for uh, appreciating tension over apathy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a recognition that what you're dealing with, your opponent believes it's formidable. Yeah, if, but if your, your opponent or the person who just disagrees with you thinks that it's Christianity, say, is simply innocuous, that's something else entirely. And I think increasingly— Well, let me ask you this, Nathan. Nathan. It's my conviction, at least, that increasingly we've drifted more into a large-scale view that Christianity is just irrelevant, outdated, past its sell-by date, especially as we've entered the, the digital world, or the the digital age, you might say. An age where technology has taken us to places we really couldn't have imagined. Am I, yeah. am I off base there, or...? <laughs>
0: Well, so, yeah, I th- well, there there are two two dangers, one bigger than the other. One is that people think Christianity is irrelevant. Uh, the more scary one is when Christians think that Christianity is irrelevant. So thinking that it's a set of beliefs that I hold but doesn't apply to every single category and aspect of my life, uh, that's not being Christian. That's knowing something neat. So we want to be equal opportunity offenders there and say, you know, we don't want to uh, cast a a derisive spell on somebody else while it's something that's endemic within our own, uh, community. So that's, we'll just keep that in the back of our minds that I think there are temptations that we have to think that Christianity isn't relevant, but one of the ways, yeah, you made the t- technological connection there that this comes up is that how do you apply your faith to a digital age or is it relevant in this time? And so I think we're going to shift this conversation in the direction of that application of a religious belief spoken by a guy who was walking around on the planet 2000 years ago into a hyper modern age and see how that works out. But let me give you a story that I think begins to bridge the gap and, and pull at the seams of what's at play here. So my grandfather, one of my grandfathers and I went to the same college, like 55 years apart and took some of the same classes. And when it came to physics classes, uh, when you talk to somebody who went to college 55 years ago, something on like, for example, the structure of the atom is wildly different over that amount of time. In 55 years, we've made phenomenal technological process and understanding not just atoms, but some atomic particles. And then there's a the whole realm of quantum physics that didn't even exist at that time. And so we could sit down and talk about atomic structures and laugh at how different things are 55 years down the road. Then you move over into some classical mind, some basic philosophical stuff, and he's saying, you know, what are you reading here? And you start going through Aristotle, Plato, uh, you know, and on up through the, and, and he's say, like, yep, read that, read that, read that. And what's funny there, it's not that philosophy as a field isn't advancing and that there aren't really fresh and new ways of looking at some of these things. It's just that the problems themselves aren't changing at the same rate as technological issues are. And so this is where this highlights this difference of when we're looking at our understanding of the physical world, there's rapid development in technology and understanding. When we're looking at the basic questions of the human heart, those are exactly the same as they have always been for every single human being in all time. And that, I I know not everybody will agree with that, but that's the premise that I'm operating from here, that there, there are perennial questions of what it means to be human that have existed in every single culture and in every single age. And those are the ones that are really fascinating. And then the question we're wrestling with is the the degree to which technology answers those questions. So it's a, let's keep things in the proper category question in my mind. um, Not so much that both of them aren't interesting.
1: Yeah, I think that's a helpful perspective. I mean, also here's a little thought experiment for you. To try to reinforce Nathan's point there about the difference between the way scientific research progresses, technology progresses, and human nature as essentially unchanging. So when home we have Homer's The Odyssey, or well, we have... I thought you were going
0: Simpson there, so thanks for clarifying. Yeah,
1: Homer Simpson, right. Go and we have shakespeare's you know body of of work we've got othello king lear it would be a bit strange to say well since shakespeare wrote romeo and juliet we have now exhausted the subject of romance it's settled or you know because Homer wrote what he wrote. Jane Austen wrote what she wrote. All of these represent the sort of definitive statement on this aspect of human experience. We've got it settled now. We can move on and think about new things. It doesn't work like that. Now, it might work like that when you discover gravity. Now you have an account of what's going on here, and you have a name for it, and you can well, describe that this. It might happen... It's, that again. one's
0: not even as nailed down as we like to think it is. So
1: no, it's not. Or we could try something a little bit more, like something photosynthesis. We have we have this process outlined here. Or water is H two O. Human nature doesn't work like that. You would think we we would know it exhaustively, right? We know it inside out. We are ourselves humans. But I'm going to come back to something I think I've said before on the podcast. I've certainly said it in writing. Human beings in the biblical sense, or in the classical sense as well, are mysteries. That, means, that doesn't mean we can't gain insight into human nature. Of course we can. But it means, first of all, we are ourselves human, so <laughs> we are part of the problem. We don't have an impartial view. And because of that, we don't have a comprehensive understanding of human humanity, our own humanity, others' humanity. And so human nature is an inexhaustible subject. We will never master it. We will never settle it. We're not self-made. We're not self-sufficient. And so that's that's part of what we're talking about. So we can continue to gain insight, timeless insight, from Homer, from Jane Austen, from Shakespeare. On and on we go. And so these are two different categories that Nathan is talking about here. But we often confuse them. Well,
0: so, okay, let's let's take a charitable read on this and ask the question, If we look at some of the big ones, what is what is the world? What is a human? What is fate? What is history? What's wrong with the world? Who am I? What am I meant to be doing? Um, to what degree does technology help us answer those questions? Because surely there has to be some some value that our global networking of humanity has. So I, I guess does it does it bring answers or is it just clarifying the questions?
1: I think if we I mean convenience is a huge feature of technology and the ability to see much more to understand different ways of life to understand that the that we are more we have more more in common with one another than we than we had previously thought I think in ages past right if you look at some of the old Even, you know, early modern anthropological writings, examining so-called, you know, exotic people groups and all of that, there was a whole lot of ignorance that was necessarily reigning because there were whole regions of the globe that were unexplored. There were different ways of life we just didn't understand. And so I think technology has, in some ways, helped us to have more of a shared sense of humanity. I think the ease and convenience of modern life can be a really wonderful thing. I'm thinking especially of a lot of medical technology. So the quality of life has improved drastically. I think we've come up with creative ways to try to address poverty and to live responsibly as well. I mean, you can see by the by the tone of my voice that I'm, I'm struggling I'm struggling a little bit or I'm feeling a little bit of apprehension as of as I'm saying some of this because with with all of the all of these advantages are necessarily a mixed bag as well because I think our technological capabilities have also come with a heavy price. I mean, we have an information overload all the time and I think that causes that it can foster the illusion that we understand way more than we actually do, and that's—I think—that might be one. Yeah, one one quick thought here is that we we tend to think of human beings more and more in mechanistic terms. That's been a thought pattern that's been developing for a while, but the fact remains: the human mind is not a computer. It doesn't work like a computer. We seem to think it does. Our habits betray the thought that we think you know we want to stuff as much information and into our brains as possible and think that that will thereby we can, you know, flourish. It doesn't quite work that way. Human beings don't, don't process along those lines. And I think we've seen some real, yeah, some pitfalls there and in numerous other places.
0: Well, I appreciate you giving that a good stab. Sorry for the difficult question, but I think it's right that we do point to a lot of the wonderful things that have happened. Uh, Was it, the Atlantic had an article a couple months ago, I think, where they said there's this subconscious longing for a lot of people that are, is a little bit like, oh, if only we could go back to the Middle Ages when life was more simple. And the author's <laughs> like, ah, uh, no. no, you you fundamentally misunderstand history if you think going back to a more simple time in which you just grew your cabbage and cut your oats with a scythe and ate a pigeon was, you know, ideal and you didn't have plagues and hordes and Disease. Yeah, your lifespan is of, what? Yeah, thirty-five to forty. Yeah, that's
1: that's yeah. your age. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um so yes, let's give let's give a a thumbs up to progress in those categories. However,
1: yeah, Cameron. Yeah, and also, what we 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 can't fail to mention the astonishing speed of vaccine developments with COVID nineteen. That's just one really salient example to point to. Incredible. Yeah, we had a, that really we was, have a, unpre- unprecedented, really.
0: The. Yeah, there, there are medical thing, and so there's an escalation to the rate at which things can be developed in the modern age, which I think does give us a sense of advancement when you're technologically accelerating, um, and yeah. not just growing in a linear sense.
1: But that, and then the other thing, let's let's just yeah, let's give technology. But if it's modern technology, more of its due as well. I think the word I was looking for there with with the vaccine development is collaboration. The astonishing collaboration, global collaboration among the scientific community to develop a vaccine in this case. But also, if you ever watch any true crime documentaries, listen to any of those podcasts, if you're listening, you know, in in recent years, the collaboration across the board in, in police departments and various, you know, legal entities and institutions has led to astonishing efficiency whereas in the past there was there was a huge communication breakdown a lot of these departments weren't talking to one another so criminals were often able to to kind of slip slip into the cracks but that happens less and less so collaboration i think is another big piece here
0: yeah well so here, here's the thing though I, and let's use your covid example um, are, is it immediately clear in your mind where that thing came from because the the whole conversation was was were the scientists in china correctly Uh, working with the World Health Organization, were they being honest about stuff? And so, uh, so that is a good example because those questions are not technological questions. Those are questions about politics and human interaction and power and culture, not technology. So now that we tried to give technology its due, let's turn this around. And while you were speaking, I took it upon myself to Google the question, what is the purpose of life? So- Let me read this to you, Cameron, and then you tell me whether whether or not we have a satisfactory answer here. So here we go. This is just the first thing that came up. There are other things. Your life purpose consists of the central motivating aims of your life, the reasons you get up in the morning. Purpose can guide life decisions, influence behavior, shape goals, offer a sense of direction, and create meaning. For some people, purpose is connected to vocation, meaningful, satisfying work. Now, obviously, Google didn't come up with that. Somebody wrote that somewhere. But that's just what pops up on the meaning of life. And so I would pitch it to you. Is that an answer to the question?
1: Well, what's cons- it's a very modern answer. Answer: What's cons- What's missing there is any kind of external standard. This, mm, it creates meaning. Complete-
0: if it creates meaning, you know it's true.
1: Yeah, creating meaning, right. And I think what many people are struggling with deeply these days is any sense of intrinsic meaning rather than homemade meaning or self-made meaning. People actually, I mean, again, this makes sense if this is Christian anthropology, but if Christianity is true, if you're made by the infinite God, your longing is for eternity with him. Nothing less than that will satisfy you but that means you're drawn to something greater than yourself but if you are locked into a mindset that says no you should have you know you 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 create your own goals you create your own meaning you need to find a purpose but it needs to be your purpose your is italicized you take ownership of that i think without maybe expressing it in such terms of exasperation many people just think well what the heck is my purpose i don't i don't know what my purpose is i don't have a, a real what i'm looking for is some capital m meaning or some capital t truth and it's a lot of people these days may just roll their eyes oh come on that's just naive we just need to grow up but you don't really out, you can silence that that deep longing but you don't you can't really outgrow it you can suppress it i would suggest or but distract but yourself what a lot from of people it. are struggling yeah i mean a lot of people you yeah, can be distracted from it and that again technology there's an <laughs> this is this wouldn't be an advantage of technology it would be but tremendous capacity for distraction these days so Tre- yeah. tremendous ability to give away your focus but yeah no so no, nothing there's no intrinsic meaning there so i i do see that not surprisingly i think nathan i would see that as a statement of despair what you just got spit yeah. out at you by yeah. Is that, yeah. Um, so, all
0: right. So let's let's try this one then. So I think all of our technological pursuits are on, in a couple of categories. One is to say something's not right with the world. There's a problem that needs to be solved. Or to say that the world isn't as good as it could be. And you might be listening to this and say, that's not true. But if you don't believe it's true, then you don't update your devices. You don't get the next app. No, there's always like mm-hmm. this little taint like something is more, something more is out there. Something will make my life more convenient or will solve these problems. And I would say that there is a religious undertone to this where we're looking at, we, if you believe that a human is mechanistic and that the world is mechanistic rather than spiritual, rather than bio, biological, then technology can solve your problems. So if you, as Cameron was saying at the beginning, if you embrace that mechanistic view of reality and humanity, then it's easy to see that technology will be the savior for that. However, if you're operating under the uh, assumption, as we both do, um, and I I don't think we have to say that that's a biblical perspective. I think that's just a, a natural, intrinsic human emotion, that there's something more there than the mechanistic and purely biological. If you're operating with that, then technology will always be an insufficient savior. It's a tool that's the wrong shape for the, for the nuts and bolts of, of reality. Um, so what happens, I think, is that if we invest in technology as a savior, it leaves us empty. However, if we have a different concept of what it means to have meaning in life, what's wrong with the world, what salvation is, then technology becomes a tool and not a God. And that's where it really flourishes, is when technology is used for a purpose not seen, not used in a way that it has to create the purpose of life. So holding it as a tool and not as a tyrant, maybe, or using it as a tool and not as a God. I think those are the really fun ways in which we start to say, okay, what is this for and how can I use it in a way that's, that's healthy and balanced. Um, in my mind, that works to, 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 it it honors it for all of the brilliance of, what has come about because of it but it also doesn't give it a a blank slate to say we pursue whatever we want however we want just because we can and so ultimately we're saying that there's a meaning in life that sets boundaries to the oughtness and the shouldness of the way that we use technology
1: yeah and i think another aspect of technology that you can you can look at as a point of comparison with human beings is tied to purpose. Let's take a very basic piece of technology. Let's take a very basic tool. What about a hammer? Well, part of what sets a hammer apart from other tools is its design. We know what it is made for. Now, of course, you can, you can use it for something else. You can abuse the hammer. You can hit somebody over the head with it. You can bust up a wall with it, but it was designed for a particular purpose. So we get that that's instantly recognizable to us. Same with a car. Same with name any piece of technology. It has a purpose. It has a design. It's got purpose comes along with the design. What do we do when we look at a human being? What are human beings for? If Christianity is true, this will sound a bit crude, but there is a purpose and a design for a human, for a human being in a manner not dissimilar to a hammer now the complexity and the richness of a human being and a human life will will infinitely exceed that of a hammer but there's design and purpose now here's what's interesting our cultural moment is making it difficult that's an understatement it's probably making it impossible for any level of true consensus to happen on human purpose anymore that was not true in ages past in ages past there really was now there were serious disagreements there were wars there were religious wars all sorts of human conflict the human life under the sun is punctuated by pain and the fallenness of humanity so don't hear any kind of idealism here and but, there was a
0: wise guy who said that will continue forever
1: absolutely right right so but there was con- there was general consensus on the, on on the meaning and purpose of of human life in a way that there really can't be nowadays because of the way we think about freedom and the way we think about human flourishing particularly here in in the west right now and I think by the way this is the source of our cultural decay to be honest with you I think we have a deeply deeply deficient view of what it means oh, to in, be a person
0: encourage because more. I think
1: encourage you more. Well, most it, and it goes, think about that Google answer. You just got that's, that's what we got. That's the best we got. That's what our culture's got for you. Yeah. You know, there, of course there's, there's meaning to human life, but it's your meaning. You, you make it and you get to call the shots. It's not tyrannically foisted on you. That's the beauty of our liberal social order. You can do and be whatever you want. I know that sounds like a Disney movie, but that really is a kind <laughs> of reigning tacit philosophy and assumption. It's tragically untrue, and it doesn't work. Oh, sure. Here's, but it, it does up to a point. Here's, here's one of the terrible aspects of human freedom. And it really is. Human freedom really is an awesome awesome factor and you're hearing and this is this is this is cameron a reform guy saying this is kind of funny
0: yeah i was going to say but it really leaning in here to listen to this
1: (laughs) (laughs) but it really but really is i mean for we know for better or for worse you can you really your habits will form you and shape you into a certain kind of person for better or for worse so a moral transformation will be taking place in your life, again, for better or for worse. In one of the ver- in the very stark phrase of Dallas Willard, he would say, everybody has a spiritual formation. Hitler had a spiritual formation. So it is possible. It may not be possible to fundamentally change what you are. It is possible to warp yourself. It is possible to twist yourself out of shape. It is possible in the same way, it's possible for you to pick up a hammer and abuse it. It's it's possible for you to abuse your personhood. And we're looking at a culture where the abuse of personhood has run absolutely amok. And what makes it harder is that a lot of people think that what they're doing is the right thing to do. It's it's a good thing to do. They're they're trying to actualize themselves they're trying to realize themselves when in fact human beings are made with intrinsic meaning intrinsic identity that's discovered rather than made and that is a colossal difference between the common mindset of our age which says meaning is self-constructed and christianity was which says no it's it's intrinsic
0: yeah so here's the thing i mean some people could look at this and say okay well that's inconvenient and I would be in the campus They no, it's dangerous because the violation of purpose always leads to destruction. You were talking about hammers. I'll give you a good example. When I was a kid, my youngest brother was probably about two years old, climbed up on our f- family's piano bench with a framing hammer and started playing a song. Um, now, due to mm-hmm. my mom's athleticism at the time, it turned out to be an extremely short song, but for the rest of my childhood our piano had three keys that had these nice little semicircle chips out of the keys where the hammer had hit three notes before Maestro came to an abrupt stop there. Um, And so that's not what a hammer was made for. And so the violation of purpose always leads to destruction. And so there might be a sense in which there's a technology allows us to see the deficiencies of technology in the sense of, would we say that depression, anxiety, suicide, purposelessness, chaos and order is something that's endemic in our society? Sure. And so I would say that's close enough to say there's causation and not just a correlation there to people having really no clue what they're supposed to be doing with their lives. And the problem is, is that if you create meaning, then things that aren't, that don't go the way you want to, aren't really bad. They're just inconvenient and don't align with your meaning. So Yeah, you're setting yourself up for a grade A dose of um, trouble when you can't align your everyday behavior with a general purpose or meaning that's bigger than yourself. And you're setting yourself up for total isolation and loneliness if that purpose isn't bigger enough to be shared by somebody else. So you can't have community unless there is a shared purpose. Actually, doesn't Augustine talk about the con you can't have that the the cat the, the idea of friendship is inc- the idea of friendship is incoherent if you don't have a common purpose. I think that's in there somewhere. Somebody listening can find the reference to that. that. It's
1: but, that's that's certainly Aristotle.
0: Okay, so maybe Augustine does pick that up, but let's go with Aristotle, which we know for sh- sure. Um, So that idea of of that is part of the danger of personal meaning. Do you remember, Cameron, we had a friend who was in the Air Force and that was part of a task force of looking at veteran suicide. And the solution that they came up with was um, to have meaning-making workshops. And he was like, Mm. no, like this is exactly what's (laughs) meaning-making workshops to prevent suicide. Um, Guess what? That did not work. In fact, had the the reverse effect. So in order to have a real sense of satisfaction in life and to have a collective sense of identity and true community and relationship, uh, you don't need Twitter. You need a common purpose.
1: Yeah. So to go back to, and yeah, again, meaning making workshops. (laughs) I mean, so many of these tools that we develop Sadly, again, tragically, we want to be we want to be gentle with how we say this. Just, just reinforce the problem. Right? The problem is not it's not that you need more motivation in your own personal meaning making. The problem is that you need an external standard of some kind. You need something bigger than yourself. So those kinds of those kinds of exercises only increase a sense of claustrophobia in especially in really perce- perceptive people who are paying attention to what's going on. But I want to go back to something you said earlier, something creepy that we need to explore just for a second, probably (laughs) as we bring this toward a conclusion. You mentioned a lot of Christians think of Christianity as irrelevant, essentially irrelevant. Talk to me a little bit more about that. I think we need to tease that out a little bit more clearly. Why would that be the case, and how is that often the case, Nathan?
0: Yeah, so I think in a system in which we can separate— it. If you create meaning, there's no actual need to have that meaning be the same in every category of your life. So I don't know that we create meaning as much as we create meanings. Um, Hmm. And so therefore, I can live a rather disjointed life where my family and my leisure and my vacation and my entertainment and my occupation all have their own little meanings, um, but there isn't a comprehensive umbrella for. And for all of them to fit under simultaneously. So I think that cultural, and you can come back push back on me if you don't think that's right, but I think the that cultural milieu can creep into the church where we start to think that our religious beliefs are just part of one category of our life and don't touch mm-hmm. every other category of our lives. So if we're talking about big capital M meaning that is true in all that we do. That's a very different story than the little lowercase m meanings that we fabricate in a lot of different little um subcomponents of life. So I think that's a challenge that Christians need to keep. We need to keep our eyes open to, of not adopting a cultural syncretism that says that there are little meanings in a bunch of categories, rather than saying, well, and by the way, this is where the word integrity comes from. Integrity right. is when you have consistency. In the little things of life, across all of the c- categories, there's an integral uh, thread that holds them all together. They're integrated and implicated in each component of their lives. And so the way that I do my work, the way that I treat my wife, and the way that I worship the Lord, all better be in harmony with each other in order for me to have a shot at understanding revealed capital N meaning in my life. And so, yeah, it's not a condemnation, but it's just like, let's remind ourselves that that is a Modern mood, and we dare not slip into that while we're uh, thinking about uh, the beauty and the grandeur and the scale of the purpose and meaning that's been revealed to us um, by our Heavenly Father through the person and the work of Jesus Christ.
1: Well, one way to illustrate what you're saying, Nathan, talking about that fragmentation or that bracketing of certain meanings in our life, right? The plurality of meanings for us. How many of us have gone to, or how many? have you how many of us have noticed workshops with titles like bringing your faith into the workplace Aha. yeah rather than bringing the other way around bringing your faith into the yes well let me let me ask you this when you're in your workplace okay so clearly this workshop workshops along these lines are aimed at people who work in right the profit sector or in you know the secular world outside the church outside of ministry fine Is God, yeah, right. Is God absent from your job? Is he not there? Is he not with you right there? And how would you not bring your faith into the workplace? Well, the way you would not bring your faith is if you are living in a fragmented way that just that Nathan was kind of hinting at. If you've got more of a syncretistic kind of faith going on where You've got your spiritual and religious boxes, and those belong in church and conferences, Bible studies, but then you go into a different place. Now you're in work. That's an entirely different category. Well, in truth, no. Now, you may be living your life as though they are, but no, this is God's world, and God is with you wherever you go, no matter how thinly you represent that. So that's that's getting to to kind of that aspect of that's a that's a way that I think a lot of normal, everyday, well meaning meaning Christians end up betraying the fact that they actually think their faith is irrelevant. Another way, another habit here, just to highlight, just to get just to meddle a little bit, because this is helpful, is if you look at church as more of, and I'm gonna borrow a term from Eugene Peterson a dispenser of religious goods and services. So that is, you look at your church in consumeristic terms. It's not a place where you go to worship God and spirit and truth with other believers, to be held accountable. It's a place where you go to, to, to get, quote, fed, to be satisfied. This is a product. And if you don't like it, if somebody says something that bothers you, if something's if if somebody says something, especially that you find offensive, now of course there are there are, you know complications that enter enter in here, but by and large you just you know pack up, leave, and go find another place. Change the flavors
0: well, in the Pez dispenser.
1: Exactly. So again, these are. I think when we hear that you know a lot of Christ, Christians believe Christianity is irrelevant, we tend to think in kind of less. We we sort of think of exotic terms like deconstruction or people walking away no the more insidious more powerful version of that can go along with people who go through the motions with a mindset that is foreign to Christianity itself and, and that that can happen quite easily actually and we want to we want to guard against that
0: all right let's bring our ramblings to a close here but i want to say by way of doing that that there might be some helpful practical takeaways of what we've been rambling on here about for your church. And the reason I say that is because there is a high degree of interest, I think, for churches to be culturally and technologically relevant. And I would just point out that there's a fine line between being relevant and ridiculous. That's just being spoken by Nathan, 35 year old guy. Um, So, Keep that in the back of your mind for whatever it's worth. But the other thing is, is to really ask ourselves as churches, what, what is it that we uniquely provide? Um, and you know what? It's going to be really hard for you to compete with the world in skinny jeans, fog machines, music, coffee. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying don't be, well, yeah, don't do skinny jeans. But no, I'm, 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 not say, like, I'm not saying don't think about some of those factors, but like, what is the church really good at? And the church is really good at fostering community that has a collective meaning and identity, a place where we can be truly known and truly loved. We can be offered the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. You know what? McDonald's doesn't have that on the menu. And so I think there's an opportunity here for churches to press back into, like, what are we really good at? And what are we uniquely called to? And what are we uniquely, um, like, what's the thing that we alone can offer the world? And let's be really good at that and not get too distracted. And I think you'll find that there's a longing for a rootedness that transcends a lot of the the hype and the digital busyness of our world. So um, I say read the Gospels and apply them to life and find the fullness of what it is that God has intended for us there. See, look at culture and identify the questions that our wrestlings and our dysfunction are highlighting And I think that you'll find that Jesus was trying to answer those questions for us a long, long time ago, if we can slow down enough to stop and see what he says. And in doing so, it's not a retroactive religion. It's forward-looking. The kingdom is is advancing. Uh, Jesus has big plans and more to reveal to us that we can't yet handle, and there's a lot of excitement and growth as we go forward. But all of that is predicated upon a much bigger and more mysterious and wonderful and majestic meaning than anything that we can fabricate on our own and individually. And so let's use technology as a great tool for the advancement of the things that we're called to do, but let's not let it be a distraction or falsely uh, use it as an idol and think that it's somehow going to provide salvation for the pathologies uh, that we create in our own minds or those that are endemic in our world. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope.
1: Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's T-O-L together.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends It really does help.